This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Health is the most important one for sure. So just try to make everything and cover all the necessities players, staff and employees need to try to sustain the club with healthy people. That's the first one. That's our responsibility. The second one with players is the physical aspect. They all have programs. They all have individual work to do that they are really doing it and and really trying to maintain themselves prepared for when we have to get back playing and the third one is their minds so there is the psychological support that they need that we are giving them and as well i'm giving them a lot of homework to do because uh, i've been reviewing everything that uh, we've been doing since i joined the things that we have to try to maintain doing improve and develop and individually i have to say they are really enjoying the challenge I'm really impressed and um, I feel proud uh, for where I am now because in difficult moments is when do you really see the people, how they react, how they think, how they prioritize things. And uh, all the phone calls I'm having with all the members of the board, uh, of my technical staff, all the coaching staff, all the players, how aware and how encourage they all are to try to help to try to be on board of the situation to try to make things easier for the club it's been amazing and uh, to be fair i have to say that i'm very privileged to work with this with these people off the ball kicks off now on bfm 89.9 that's the uh, now recovered arsenal boss Mikel arteta telling us what the arsenal players are up to uh, during these difficult times. Good evening. I'm Ross. Welcome to Off the Ball. It's a special Off the Ball. It's uh, we're telling you about the best documentaries this evening. I, I, that's what Mikel Arteta didn't say. He didn't tell you that the Arsenal players spend all their time watching football documentaries. It's true. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on um, social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. As I said, then, best football documentaries. We're going to call up some of the chaps. Uh, I've got Craig Wilkie on the line. Craig, are you holding up well, yeah? I am holding up well. Good evening, Ross. Good evening, everyone. How, how are things in these difficult times? Well, I, I'm same old. It's just I, I seem to have more work to do at home this time. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, the... Great, great news about Arteta, though. Um, that he's recovered, that he's he's doing much better. Um, strange times for footballers as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you can see most of them posting on social media. What I, I do gather is they've all got expensive home gyms and a lot of garden to roam around in. <laughs> That's true. I think that they're doing okay in that sense. But <laughs> it must be such a, such a bizarre scenario whereby they're training. I'm sure all these guys are on their individual training programs that the, the club medical professionals have prescribed, but they don't know when football is going to restart. So it must, it must be such a bizarre kind of existence that they're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Right, I'm going to whiz through a list of uh, football documentaries. I bet they're all watching documentaries. That's what they're doing. Uh, first up, uh, a bunch of freebies. You don't have to go far. Go to YouTube.com. Look up Jack Charlton, The Irish Years. That's a very good watch. It's hosted by Colm Meany of Star Trek Next Generation fame. Have you actually seen that? I haven't actually, although... <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's true that we're all looking for our football fix right now, aren't we? And even last night, I was watching the... 
Astro were showing a rerun of the, the 2014 World Cup. It was the Brazil versus Croatia game. And the interesting thing about it was, of course, I had seen that game. I watched it live when it happened all those years ago. I, was, I knew the score. I could remember everything about it. And I still got upset when the referee gave what was a ridiculous penalty. It so was- I, think we can, <laughs> I, think we, I think we can still go back and enjoy those moments, even though we've already uh, lived through them once before. But, you know, Big, big Jack... What a character! And when I when I think about him in the the Ireland years, it's two World Cups that stand out for me. So first of all, the the nineteen ninety World Cup, which we talked about briefly last week. But actually, Ireland went all the way to the quarterfinals of that tournament. Yeah. Uh, and they were eventually knocked out by by Italy in the quarterfinals by Scilacci, who emerged as one of the the stars and the heroes of Italian ninety. But I hadn't realised I was just back and checking some of the results. I think Ireland only scored two goals in that tournament because they drew all of their group games. And then in the next round, they went through against Romania after a penalty shootout. Then they lost 1-0 in the quarterfinals to Italy. So imagine going to the quarterfinals of the World Cup and only scoring two goals. Incredible. That's maybe a bit of an indication of how Jack's teams used to play. (laughs) Well, Irish football hasn't changed that much, has it? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the other one is, uh, is USA 94, and my, one of my abiding members of the tournament, of course, it was the classic match where I think Ireland's first game in that tournament, they beat Italy, which was one of the most famous results in their, their history. I remember Ray Houghton lobbing the goalkeeper, I think, for the winner. Um, but it was, that, it was that competition where the heat was so incredible in the US that summer. And I can just remember Big Jack Charlton on the touchline desperately trying to get water bottles on those players the whole the whole way through every single game that they played and you know there was altercations on the sideline with John Aldridge and guys like that and, and all, all these you know as, a, as I'm sure I would have been as a you know as a, as a Brit or somebody of that uh, heritage and skin tone they, they were all struggling so badly in the heat and they were just desperate to get the water yeah funny funny scene back then Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Jack Charlton, The Irish Years, is available free on YouTube.com, as are loads of uh, documentaries on football greats. There's one about Brian Clough called The Brian Clough Story, uh, released uh, by ITV Sport in 2009. It's all about the legendary Clough and Forrest and how he he made the first million-pound signing. There's one on Sir Bobby Charlton. Uh, It's a BBC documentary released in 2011, all about Sir Bobby's playing career, incredible playing career with Man United and England. And I want to talk to you, Craig, about this one. I, I'm pretty sure you have. I hope you have seen it. <laughs> it's an impossible, yes, yes, yeah, it, an impossible job. Um, it was. I, I remember living through this, and it was on. First of all, <laughs> football fans couldn't couldn't believe that the England manager agreed to do this. And wow, there was a lot of swearing, wasn't there? <laughs> There, there was a little bit, um, which, <laughs> which I think is quite natural for a football manager in any circumstances, but especially one who, who was struggling, as Graham Taylor was at the time. As, as you say, the, probably the most remarkable thing of all is that he agreed to do it. I, I can't really imagine why, uh, in a situation like that, you would invite the cameras in to watch um, everything that was, that was unfolding and, in the end, unravelling. Um, I, I think, you know, when I watched it again, not all that long ago, to be honest, and, I mean, Graham Taylor, he comes across as such a decent man. You know, I think he, he did a lot for the game. He had, a, he had a really illustrious career as a club manager. He got his chance at international level. And it just didn't really work out for him. He, he seemed a little bit out of his depth. He, he 
maybe wasn't dealing with the greatest generation of England players at that particular time. I can remember, I think he really tried to make Carlton Palmer an international footballer and that, <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Um, but it, 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 was, it was such a shock, I think, for England not to qualify for the World Cup. I mean, we, we think back to the last one in 2018 and the Italians weren't there and that was you know, such a huge thing for, for a nation like that and their whole football. And I think this was the same for England. You know, it really, it really sort of kick-started a bit of a, a revolution in thinking in terms of how young players are going to get coached. And that seemed a, a particularly low point for the England national team. And I think it was that era when, you know, the, the title of the, of the documentary says something in itself. You know, the, the, the England manager's position had become such a difficult job. I think the level of expectation from the fans, the sort of scrutiny that the, the manager was under from the press. And of course, remember, this is back in the day before we had social media and everything that that's brought to adding pressures to managers and the sorts of things that they have to go through. So, yeah, it was a very difficult time. But I think just that whole sort of fly on the wall aspect to it, to get that close, to get really, you know, to, to literally be on, on the bench in a way and in the dugout as, as all these things were happening, just a fascinating thing to see. So really worth checking out that, that piece of filming. Absolutely. Fascinating television. What you get out of that was Phil Neal, the, uh, his right-hand man, was just a puppet. He just, he just mirrored everything Graham Taylor said. And some of the popular yeah, phrases... Exactly. Some of the popular phrases that came from the show was, uh, do I not like that? And can we not knock it? Can we not knock it? <laughs> <laughs> Cannot, apparently. <laughs> and no, he didn't like it. And it's, it's a good point you make about the number two, actually. Because I think all the successful managers, you talk about Brian Clough, for example, you know, another documentary that people can watch. They, you know, Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson... Um, even even today, you know, the likes of Guardiola or, or Klopp, it's so important to them who their number two figure is. And these guys, they have to be willing to challenge them. They have to have their own point of view, their own perspective on the game that, that these, you know, top managers respect. And if you, if you don't have that even back then, it's really something that you're going to struggle with. You're going to miss out on as a manager. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Go go watch it. It's called An Impossible Job. And I do believe you. it's free on YouTube. Right, Craig, your choice, your documentary of choice is Zidane, a 21st century portrait. Um, it, it, it focuses basically on, on Zidane on a match when he was playing for Real Madrid against Villarreal uh, in April 2005. It was filmed using 17 synchronized cameras. It, it really does look aesthetically beautiful, this documentary. Yeah, that's the thing about it. It's a, it's, I mean, I use documentary in a slightly... <laughs> it's slightly stretching the term of documentary in a it's way. A but film, it, it's really. a very interesting... Con- yeah, it's an interesting concept. So what, what these filmmakers did was they, they trained, as you said, 17 cameras just purely on Zidane for the entire game. So... You think, well, that's, that's a little bit strange, isn't it? You're going to spend 90 minutes watching just one guy, you know, as, as he goes about his business on the pitch. But that's part of the point of it, just to see, you know, and of course it's Zidane, right? I don't, there's very few players really you could have done this with. It's someone who's so iconic as him, who's so intense as him. So, of course, over the, in the, as the 90 minutes unfolds, you get to see some of those little touches that he has, you know, the first touch, the way his balance, all of those things that make him such a great player. But it's also fascinating to see that even a player as influential as Zidane, you think nobody sort of pulls the strings more than, than he did for the sides they played for. But how much of the game actually just passes them by? You know, he's, he's 
mostly a spectator for, for 90 minutes. I think he only touches the ball maybe 30 times or, or something like that. But every time he does so is, is maybe, you know, some of the most exciting moments of the game because of the type of player that he is. And there's something about Zidane. You know, he has that look in his eyes. He has, you know, just something about the way he carries himself on the pitch. And, of course, part of what made this um, film so famous, actually, when it was subsequently released, because this game that they followed him in was in 2005. And Zidane being Zidane and the reputation that he has, he, he played really well. But at the end, and I think the last five minutes or so of the game, he gets involved in a bust-up with, with an opposition player and actually gets sent off. You know, he kind of grabs the guy by the neck and shoves him out of the way. So the ref brandishes the red card. So this was in 2005. And then the film was actually released about a year later in 2006, just before the World Cup, which was when, of course, as we know, the, the final of the 2006 World Cup was maybe one of those most iconic moments in, in football history. Where Do you know what? I Zidane was... Yeah, sorry. I, I was there. I was no, there. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Let, let, let me just tell you, right? The entire stadium missed the headbutt incident, right? And everybody, what, 80,000 wow. people in, in, in the Berlin uh, Olympic Stadium looked up into the big screen, saw the headbutt again, and everybody reacted in unison going, oh, <laughs> it was really surreal. Yeah. I mean, what an incredible scene, but just the, the whole game, because not only the headbutt when it came, which was really the iconic moment, but to take a penalty like he did, who, who does that in a World Cup final? You know, this is, this is a man, this is a player who, who plays on the edge all the time. Maybe that's part of what his genius is. I think to step up and take a penalty like that, you could all already see that something was kind of you know, going on in his mind that was, was maybe heading towards a breaking point. And then when it happened, what, what always stood out for me about the headbutt incident was afterwards, I mean, he obviously knew what he'd done. He knew what was coming in terms of the sending off, but he just shrugged in that Gallic way and, and as if I've done what I've done, I, I did what I had to do, and, and that's it. And off he went, and there was just, you know... It, it, it was just an incredible moment. I think we, we'll never... Yeah, I mean, incredible if you were there. and None of us who were watching will, will ever forget it. Yeah, so yeah. I think this, uh, this, this film, 21st Century Portrait, just captures something of that about the man himself. You know, this, this genius, this um, flawed character. You know, he's a flawed human being, as we all are. And, you know, so good, at, so good at his job, so good at what he did, but always had this, this tendency to maybe, you know... Uh, let himself down in some ways or have that, that temper that comes to the surface. So it's, it's a really fascinating watch, really, to see how, how that all unfolds. Brilliant stuff. Zidane, a 21st century portrait. Go get it. Watch it. Um, that's it with Craig Wilkie. I'm going to say thank you very much, sir. You, you, you spend the time at home wisely, yeah? I will. I'll carry on with the 2014 World Cup rerun, see where that gets us to. <laughs> I, I won't tell you what happens in the end. Nice one, Craig. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, don't spoil it for me. <laughs> right, uh, we're going to talk to... We're going to check in with Des Corkill next. Stay tuned. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. And once again, thanks to Craig Wilkie for that Zidane uh, 21st century portrait. Go and watch that documentary. It is well worth watching. Right, let's check in on Sir Des Corkill. Des, are you there? I'm here. I'm rather enjoying the isolation, Ross, because I'm able to catch up on all these 
wonderful archive football and sport and history documentaries which are, are prevalent on, on YouTube and free for us all to see. I'm having a whale of a time in a, in a bizarre kind of a way. Yeah, but that's going to that's gonna fade away soon because I know you're an outdoors person, Des. <laughs> it is hurting. I'm at the top of the 31st floor, Ross, so I'm, I'm trying, to walk, um, trying to walk up the stairs twice a day, and I tell you, that that gets to the old bones and it helps you get to sleep at night. But uh, no, it's, it, it, it's quite good. Chance to catch up. And I, I tell you what, well, one of the real things is, is just being able to have the time to sit down and watch these one- and two-hour documentaries and just relive a, a little bit of the history and, and realise that the past... Uh, there's nothing new in the world of football because it's all been invented before. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the, the, the documentaries you've chosen is Football's Greatest International Teams, Holland 1974. Now, I was, I, I barely remember 74. I remember 78 quite well, but I remember in the 70s, Dutch football was it, wasn't it, Des? Well, it was because they had club teams. Feyenoord won the 1970 uh, European Cup and then the great Ajax team of 71, 72 and 73 won three in a row. And so, so I've always had um, an interest in, in Ajax. So I've got to tell you, in this documentary, Johan Cruyff calls them Ajax. And who are we to argue with Johan Cruyff? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so I had a chance to look back at, at Ajax and, and this uh, formation of this team that was uh, going to play in the 1974 World Cup finals. And, um, and uh, under the, the stern coaching of Rinus Michels, they had uh, a team who played modern football. They played 4-3-3, and they, they had a false time. Cruyff was the uh, number 14 who played essentially up top, but he was, he was the false number nine. In fact, when he scored, or when Holland scored in the 74 World Cup final, in the first minute, Cruyff was the deepest player on the pitch after one minute. All the Dutch players were flowing forward. Cruyff, the centre forward, was the deepest player behind, uh, uh, with only Youngblood behind him, and that's where he started the move that led to the penalty. So we hear talk of false signs, been there, seen it, done it. Yeah. The four-three-three, Holland, been there, seen it, done it. <laughs> the, 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 the idea of moving midfielders into centre back position. Harry Hahn was a hard midfielder played centre-back for Holland in the 1974 World Cup Finals. So all of this um, the modern technology, um, other than perhaps the fitness levels, that's the one thing that they can't see, it's all been done before us. And this is this is born uh, real fruit in that greatest team of, of, of the, the, the 70s in this Dutch side. Right, right. I, I, I totally agree with you. It's all been done, nothing new really. But as far as this 74 side uh, is concerned, I mean, it had Johan Niskins, it had Johan Cruyff. Like you say, it was total football. The world had never seen football like that. They lost that final. Was, two, they lost that final 2-1 two, two, to it was Germany. Very disciplined football. I've got, to, I've got to just interrupt there. It's very disciplined football as well until the final. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they lost. So this, this great style of football was, was never cemented, if you like, in history. Right, we've had this discussion multiple times. My argument is, and uh, winning, everybody tells me, winning is everything. Look at the score. We won 1-0 and we bought the pants off people. Everyone remembers this Dutch side. They didn't win. 
They made football fun. Football is meant to be an expression of joy, and it's meant to be an expression of freedom. And it's a, you're meant to play the game. You're meant to enjoy the game. And this Dutch side did exactly that. The the, the fault that they make, and Robbie Rensenbrink and uh, uh, Van Hannigan said it in the documentary that, that I'm talking about, was that after going 1-0 up so early on against uh, West Germany, as it was then, they they got arrogant and they, they became Dutch. And they decided <laughs> to try and embarrass uh, Germany, who, of course, there's a, a big history between Holland and West Germany because of the war, and it's, it's still... Uh, it, 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 uh, it, it represents itself in football. And so they tried to embarrass the Germans, and the Germans' rigid discipline, great players as they had as well, were able to respond with two goals before half-time. Even after that, Holland hit the post. Set Meyer had a couple of wonderful saves. Could have been so much different, but yet I, I really don't care about the results. And I can hear Craig Marias in, in, in my ear here. <laughs> I really don't care about the result because this was a team to remember. They brought us the best game of international football I've ever had the joy to witness. If you have a chance to watch Holland versus Brazil, 1974, watch it. It is fabulous because it's intense. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's physical. It's superb. It is just the most wondrous exhibition of 70s football you can possibly hope to see. Brilliant stuff. It's, ab- it's available free on YouTube. Football's Greatest International Teams, Holland 1974. It came out in 2014, narrated by the great Patrick Barclay. Um, all right. Yeah, the- great fella. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, the other documentary you, you picked out for us also focuses on, on one of the great football sides, and it was probably the greatest era of Brazilian football. You've chosen Brazil 1970, the team of the century. Yes, I have. I've chosen it for slightly different different reasons. I mean, we, we've all focused on, on the Brazil side. And when I was growing up, so my first ever awareness of football was around about 69, 70. And colour television hadn't been brought in. And I remember being taken by a father down to a friend's house who had a colour television. And Brazil were playing. And the revelation of seeing a game in Mexico millions of miles away, a whole, a whole couple of planets away, in colour. Oh, it was just beautiful. And they played, I don't remember the passes, I've watched the films multiple times before, but the whole atmosphere was wonderful. So, so that's a great memory for me. And so that Brazil team, again, tossed out the number nine. He played as a false nine. They had two central defenders. The fullbacks overlapped like Alexander Arnold and Robertson do today. Carlos Roberto, or the, Carlos Alberto, down one side, scored one of the great World Cup goals to make it 4-1. Gerson was a sensational player in the heart of midfield, and Pele could play just about anywhere. So they had this uh, this wonderful team. But the reason I, I picked this was because of the old-fashioned values of um, of the actual documentary. Yeah. So when they went to the game, it was. They just let the game flow. There was no narration. There was no commentary. There was an occasional, oh, and Brazil were to make it 1-0. And you just had to watch the football, and it was beautiful. The uh, England versus Brazil game gets a, a good five or six minutes, and um, I've seen all the big moments, and uh, I'm aware that Bobby Moore was meant to be a world-class player, 
Bobby Moore got nutmegged for the goal before before <laughs> Jezinho scored. No, nobody mentions that. They all remember the tackle, but he got nutmegged in the goal that led up to Jezinho's goal. Now, um, now, now that... again, the, the great moments against Uruguay when Pele lets the ball run beyond the keeper and then pulls it back wide of the goal. He didn't score, but it's one of the most beautiful moments in football. And no commentary, which for me to say that is pretty dire, puts me out of a job. But no commentary made it wonderful. Brilliant, brilliant. I, 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 rem- I well, I, I remember watching only on on clips. Uh, Pele, of course, highlighted Gordon Banks's save as the greatest save ever. Did you see that? And what? How did you feel at the time? Were, were, were you were, were you already playing in goal? Uh, I was playing goal, but I was only seven, so I. I, 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 I... <laughs> remember it but I do remember a couple of years later I went to Gordon Banks's last ever game he, they played uh, against Liverpool at, uh, at Anfield and that was my first ever game of football at Anfield taken by my dad uh, to the Anfield road end and uh, Liverpool won 2-1 um, and Ian Callaghan scored a deflected winner in the last minute but then Gordon Banks had his car crash but the um, a couple of weeks later or maybe a couple of months later uh, they came back to Anfield Stoke and I remember vividly the ovation Gordon Banks got from the cop and the whole Liverpool crowd—it was—it was—it was a monumental occasion. So he was clearly a, a world-class goalkeeper, as proven by not only that save, but by his saves over over a good 15-year career with uh, Leicester and then Stoke. Um, yeah, a wonderful goalkeeper. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant thoughts. And listen, uh, the the documentary Des is talking about Team of the Century Brazil is available free on YouTube. Search it out. It's, it's hosted by John Fashionu. Now, be careful. There's an English version and there's a dubbed Spanish version as well because John Fashionu looks really weird talking in Spanish. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this, this was also this was done in about 1988 and this was the start of footballers beginning to be aware that hey, maybe there's a television career afterwards so fascism looks a bit stilted but Gary Lineker I promise you was exactly the same when he started his presentation uh, as an ex-footballer so th- that was interesting for me from a professional point of view to, to see how, how Fash coped with uh, clearly written links for him that he was reading <laughs> off an autocube it looks great he did well but the content you can't take away from the content and no words over that Brazil team um, are, are, are required Brilliant stuff. There you go. Two great documentaries to check out. Football's greatest international teams, Holland, 1974, and Team of the Century, Brazil, uh, 1970, both available free on YouTube. Thank you very much, Des Colkill. I shall let you return to your solitude. Can I actually just add one more that uh, any self-respecting person born and bred in Liverpool has, has got to talk about the Jimmy McGovern Hillsborough documentary that was made by ITV in, in 1996, whereas um, obviously Hillsborough was, was a, a devastating moment for the city of Liverpool and for football fans all over. Well, Jimmy McGovern in 96, uh, seven years after the event, put together a documentary that fundamentally changed the perception. So I, I didn't go to the Hillsborough. I, I was actually playing football that day. I was aware something nasty, something dreadful had happened. Uh, and then you read the newspapers the following day, and uh, that, that uh, SUN newspaper is still not read in this household or by virtually anybody else in Liverpool because of the, the, the wretched things that they said that just wouldn't happen. If you're a fan, you know the crush. Fans don't react in, that, in, in the way that was suggested. Yeah. But eventually Jimmy McGovern came out with this wonderful documentary, and that changed the, um, that changed the mood. Apart from uh, it moved people away from people saying scouts are victims into... Hey, 
something really bad did happen there. And it's still going on. David Duckenfield has only just been um, uh, sentenced or in, involved 2019, 30-odd years later. But that Jimmy McGovern documentary changed everything. I tell you, it, it's a very harrowing, um, very harrowing video. Yeah. If you can get across it, it's, 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 it's really worth looking at. But it's, it really is a must-watch. It is, it's football history. Hillsborough is also available on YouTube. Right then, Des, thank you very much. We will check in on you again. You, you take care right? and stay safe. I will do, and uh, I hope everybody's doing well, and uh, best wishes to everybody. Because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time, but coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, welcome back to a very special Off the Ball. It's Off the Ball bringing you the best football documentaries around. Uh, Many thanks to Des Corkill whom you heard just before the break. Of course, you can get in touch on Twitter. It's BFM Radio. Um, Also, follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. BFM Football. Follow, follow, follow. Uh, I've got Kishnan on the line. Kishnan, have you survived the weekend? Well, you have. You're here, aren't you? Still surviving, Ross. I've been catching some of uh, Belarusian football just to keep myself safe. It's the only league going, isn't it? So, so who are we cheering <laughs> it's for? The only thing playing. There was a Ming that took place over the weekend. I can't even pronounce some of the teams, but uh, it, I mean, it was the only thing that was going on. And there was some leaks spread all over Twitter, and I caught a bit of the game just to keep myself safe. <laughs> That's how starved, football starved, we all are. <laughs> Uh, all right, then. We're talking about football documentaries, and I understand you want to highlight a documentary called uh, Super Classico, Boca Juniors versus River Plate. It's made by Copa 90, and the Super Classico, for people who don't know, is basically the biggest derby in Argentina. Uh, two Buenos Aires rivals, Boca Juniors and River Plate, go head-to-head. Take it away, Kish. What is it about this book? Oh, yeah, sorry. What is it about this documentary, even? This is an incredible piece of documentary, Ross. I mean, it, a lot of the football documentaries out there are made by massive production houses. They've got big budgets. And, and, and there's, like, stellar production crews behind it. This one is made by a YouTube channel called Opa90, who are so, uh, you know, they, they dive deep into football cultures. But this was their first ever attempt at making a feature-length football documentary. And I'll tell you what, it was absolutely brilliant. It, it, it covered the Super Classico topic. And as you mentioned, uh, Super Classico is the biggest derby. I think it's the biggest derby in the, in the world of football. It's between uh, Boca Juniors and River Plate, two teams that are based in Buenos Aires. It's, it's bigger than the Classico. It's bigger than, than the Tehran derby in Iran. It's, it's fierce. It's... There's a lot of there's a history of violence attached to it, and over the years both teams have played each other, uh, you know, numerous times in the Argentinian leagues, and and and, and the, the rivalry has always been intense. But this specific documentary focuses on the time that the both of them played each other in the final of the Copa Libertadores, which is the South America's uh, equivalent of the Champions League. Yeah. And for the first time in in the history of the tournament. And the history of this derby, 
both teams played each other in the final. And if you don't know, the, the, the Copa Libertadores, the, the format is slightly different, whereby the final is played across two legs. So you've got one in the home of uh, River Plate, one in the home of, of uh, Boca Juniors, the uh, La Bobonera. And I, and I don't want to spoil it for the listeners out there, it, but, but you would, if you sort of followed the news right at the end of 2018, you'd know that there was a massive... Uh, problem with, with with the way the final went uh, went on, and the, 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 there was a lot of violent attacks. Uh, buses, tear gases were thrown into some of the Boca Juniors buses, and and the final uh, only one leg was actually played in Buenos Aires. The <laughs> yeah. other leg could not take place in Buenos Aires. Eventually, it was played in Madrid. Uh, go and watch it. I don't want to spoil it, but it, it dives really deep into how important this fixture is the people of Buenos Aires. It was incredibly emotional. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly uh, well-set, atmospheric movie. Go and check it out. It's called Super Classico, Boca Juniors versus River Plate. Uh, it is one of the biggest derbies in the world. Right, Keish, I want to I want to talk about some of the other documentaries. I know you've watched these because uh, we've discussed it before. Uh, you're a big Man United fan, so you must have seen 2013's Class of '92. Yes, of course, Ross. Uh, th- this was really iconic. Uh, we all- my generation, at the very least, grew up um, watching the class of '92 at their prime. We we never knew their early days. As in, I mean, we we read about it, but we never got the full context of the early days in terms of what it meant for this group of players to break through the system uh, with the with the reserve team first winning the FA Youth Cup, breaking through the structure, uh, understanding the context of how they became mainstays within the United First Team, and a lot of those things. Uh, my generation, at the very least, um, did not, and not. I wouldn't say no, because we knew about it, but I would say that we, we didn't fully understand the context or we didn't get the full picture. And this, this documentary was like, a, it was like a window into what it meant um, uh, for, for, the, for the people of Manchester to see local nets, to see people breaking through the ranks of the youth setup at, at Old Trafford, to then become mainstays. And not just mainstays within the first team, but you look at every single one of them, even now, they are, they, they, they're so attached to the club, either an ambassador, uh, in an ambassador role, or, or one way or another. And this documentary was great. It just highlighted that you, you got to see um, the kind of stuff that Gary Neville had to do to become the player that he was. Mm. He was so incredibly honest in the documentary. David Beckham as well, you know, there's this myth of, of him being influenced by the glam of, of, of the show show business world and all that kind of stuff. But this documentary really put things into perspective uh, um, in terms of how hard Beckham really had to work and how hard he actually did work uh, to become the player that he eventually was. It was a terrific, terrific documentary. Yeah, absolutely. Love or hate Manchester United, the class of 92 was very unique. Uh, David Beckham, Nicky Bout, Ricky, uh, Ricky, Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, and Paul Scholes. The, the, the unique thing about it, Keish, is they were all mates. They are all still mates now. And as you say, are all still attached to the club one way or another. That's unique in itself. Yeah, and, and they're also business partners and business partners that are even helping out. Uh, uh, the, the locality of Manchester right now uh, in the times of needs. Gary Neville and Ryan Gates are business partners. They own a few hotels in Manchester. They've opened up those hotels for, for the usage of uh, NHS staff 
the UK at the moment in the middle of this uh, coronavirus crisis. So the, the impact of that class of 92, it, it's, trickled, it's trickled down over the years. It is still so strong until today. Yeah, absolutely. Well worth watching. Uh, it also features interviews with uh, Zinedine Zidane, Eric Cantona and Tony Blair. Yeah, now you really want to watch it. Um, uh, Pot, now listen, Kish, I, I, I'm putting this one right up there. For me, right, one of the, yeah. I, I, I put the best documentary, football documentary I've ever seen as the two Escobars. Uh, no, I, I, I completely agree with that, Ross. I don't think, I, I think if you're a fan of film and a fan of football, I don't think there are better, there's a better football documentary out there than uh, the two Escobars. Uh, the person that actually introduced this show to me was Roshan. Uh, he, 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 he told me to go and watch, check out this ESPN 30 series. And obviously, that, that particular series has produced so many excellent documentaries. But the best, and when I say the best by far as well, was the tale of the two Escobars. Um, again, I, I don't want to entirely spoil it, but the context is that it's it, it, it's about uh, Pablo Escobar, who was you know, this popular drug kingpin. And if you have watched if you are watching Narcos at the moment, then this would tie in really perfectly as well for you to then watch this documentary and see how the world of drugs in Colombia influenced um, the uh, football as well. Because Colombia, they, they were not the biggest uh, footballing nation in South America. You had the likes of Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile. But uh, but, but in, in 1994, the, the, this documentary focused on Colombia qualifying for the World Cup and eventually what happened at the World Cup and, 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 and the fact that that led to the death of Andres Escobar much later. Uh, I thought the way the documentary analyzed the context of how the drug world played such a huge role in financing an uprising within Colombian football, uh, it was such a, like, it was a very, uh, what's the word for it? it was, you almost had mixed emotions watching it because on one hand, Objectively, drugs is bad, but on the other hand, you could see how much football meant to the people of Colombia. And the only thing that was keeping that football alive or taking it to the next level was was um, yeah, the drug money at that point. So you could understand that that particular clash. Uh, but it, again, Ross, yeah, this this was probably the best football documentary I've ever watched. And I, and the thing is, you could keep watching it over and over again, and you always end up picking up something new. Absolutely, absolutely. You you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the two Escobars, two Colombians who share the same surname, uh, not related, fates inextricably intertwined. <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Watch it. it. It really is one of these must-watch documentaries. You, you got any more on your list of must-watchers? I, I just I just suggest this, right? Uh, like you can go and find on Netflix and all this kind of stuff. But honestly, just go to YouTube, search for Copa Nineties, Copa Nineties YouTube channel. Look for the Derby Days series. Brilliant. It's a series where Copa Ninety travel. Yes. Uh, it's just a couple of guys, what three or four people, small production crew, but they travel to some of the most heated derbies on the planet. They go to places like Eastern Europe. They've gone to South America. They've even come to to, to, uh, parts of Asia as well. And they explore some of the most intense rivalries and derbies in football. And and the one I'll suggest is, given that right now, uh, in the midst of the COVID-19 situation, 
the worst hit region in Italy is the region of Bergamo. And Bergamo is where Atalanta is from. Mm-hmm. Go and watch the Copa 90 Derby Days video on the rivalry between Atalanta and Brescia. The rivalry between Bergamo and Brescia. It, it'll just blow your mind and it will put into context of the suffering that the people of Bergamo are going through at the moment. Excellent stuff. There you go. And it's available free on YouTube. Go and search exactly out free. search out Derby Days. Right, Keish, you, you, excellent. Wicked chat. Um, I'm going to let you get back to your, your documentary watching. You stay safe and stay indoors, yeah? Cheers, Ross. You stay safe too. All right. And, and um, you guys stay tuned because we've got Cam Raslan coming up next. Build a mentality in that dressing room that's powerful, strong, made them feel like they're unbeatable. What a coach. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. The serial winner has got another trophy for the cabinet. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, checking in with the guys this Monday evening. Cam Raslan is on the line. Cam, are you keeping well? Uh, yeah, what day, what day is it, Ross? I don't know anymore. <laughs> it, it really is like that. You, you, you need to try your jeans on every now and again just to get out of the pyjamas because it gives you a false <laughs> sense of security, you know? Okay, okay. <laughs> right, we're talking about uh, football documentaries and your choice surprised me a little bit because it's about the great Sir Stanley Matthews. Uh, Matthews came out in 2017. Uh, it's about probably the greatest English player who ever lived. But it was, what, 1915 <laughs> uh, he was born. So it was, it was a bit before your time. Very much so. I mean, before uh, uh, football fans older than you and me, Ross, would have talked about Jimmy Greaves and the like. And then football fans older than them would have talked about Sir Stanley Matthews. Uh, Never saw him in the flesh, but he was a name that I always heard. Um, and until the, I watched this documentary, I, I knew really very little about him. But when I watched it, I was like, wow, really, you know, full of admiration for the guy. Absolutely. And, and when, when you watch the, the skills, I mean, check him, check him out now. It's available on YouTube. Just, just type in Stanley Matthews and any game. The skills he possessed, and, and you've got to remember, Cam, in those days, that ball was, what, 10 times the weight of the current ball? I've made of solid concrete, I believe, uh, <laughs> in those days. Absolutely. And he would, uh, you know, he would, he, would, he, was, he was a winger, and he would dance past players down the wing and then cut inside. He was, uh, I think, you know, Ian Robin would be somebody you could uh, think about. You're saying the ball was very heavy. I don't suppose he ever headed the ball. So he, he managed to save himself from a lot of the concussion problems that... Uh, his contemporaries suffered. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Matthews was known as the wizard of the dribble. He was also known as the magician. He is, in fact, the oldest player to ever play in England's top division. He played in the first division aged 50 years and five days. That is amazing. It, it is amazing. And actually, I was talking to Bob Holmes, and he was saying that he, actually, he did actually watch uh, Stanley Matthews play at the tail end of his career. But he did say that a lot of players, he could tell, didn't want to go in and tackle him because they just didn't want to be the guy who ended Stanley Matthews' career. So maybe in the latter years, he got away with it. One, one thing that the, the documentary 
doesn't mention, which I think is is worth considering, is that uh, football pitches, because he was playing from the 1930s all the way to the, to the early 60s, football pitches, as, as you would know, Ross, right until the early 90s, were just mud baths. And the one patch of ground, if you go right to the edge of the pitch, there would be a, there would be a strip of dry grass. So the skillful players would be the wingers. That's the only place we could guarantee that, that uh, a player could show off some skill. And Stanley Matthews was, by all accounts, just um, the most skillful of them all. Yeah, he sounds, uh, well, a very intelligent bloke as well. He was the first ever Ballon d'Or winner. Uh, it's a prize given to the best European footballer each year. And between 1934 and 1957, he won 54 caps for England. He played in the 1950 and 1954 World Cups. He won the British Championship. So he was everything, really. He was, he was stand the man, I guess. Also, he had a very long career, and the documentary points out that he was ahead of his time because he really took his uh, exercise regime, which he, he did himself, very seriously. So he uh, and he would work on he would uh, exercise on the beach in Blackpool, his hometown, where the the impact on the uh, the joints would be minimal. And so he kept flexible. He was a very trim man. He also really took care of his diet, which is way ahead of his time. I mean, he didn't really see that kind of uh, uh, professional athletic uh, thinking until the likes of uh, Arsene Wenger turned up and stopped people doing the traditional exercise regime, which would be drinking two pints of beer and, and smoking a packet of fags before <laughs> a football match. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. Um, get get the the DVD or where, where did you watch it? Was it? It's not on Netflix, is it? I, I, I you know I, I found it on the net, and I can't say more than that because one I can't remember and. <laughs> fair enough fair enough go search it Matthews came out in 2017 directed by Ryan Scott Warren uh, it, it features again Patrick Barclay narrating as well so it is very very good stuff some of the ones uh, we are going to suggest to you now I, we've not necessarily seen all of them but um, by all accounts Planet FIFA which came out in 2016 I, I remember seeing bits of it it's all about our favorite organization, Cam. Yeah. What a, I used to have arguments with an American friend of mine all the time because he would equate football with FIFA and he'd look at the corruption of FIFA and he would say, that's why football is a terrible game. And I'd be having to say, no, football has nothing to do with FIFA. But it's, uh, yeah. One, another one you should watch, um, Gascoigne came out in 2015. A flawed genius. If you don't know who Paul Gascoigne is, I mean, he was he was a, a player I totally idolized growing up. I, I just loved watching Gascoigne play. Uh, it's just a pity he was daft as a brush, wasn't he? Uh, I loved him too. And uh, Italia 90, uh, you know, that was an emotional moment for anybody who watched it. Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, he was just the, the polar opposite in, in so many ways with, say, Stanley Matthews because... With Gascoigne, it was all about this belief that he was just born with this gift. He didn't have to work at it. Um, and he didn't have to take care of himself, whereas, you know, proper athletes do. And it, it's 
sad, the, the story of Gascoigne in so many ways, but when it was at its peak very briefly up until, what was the FA Cup, 1990 or 91 when he destroyed his leg? Yeah, 90, kick. something like that, yeah, against Nottingham Forest, I remember that, yeah. Ta- tackle on Des Walker. And, and yeah, that was it. <laughs> that that, that it. encapsulated Paul Gascoigne in a nutshell. Because the semi-final, he'd been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, watch it. Gascoigne came out in 2015. That too, I believe, is available on YouTube. Now, there's one called there's one called "Take the Ball Past the Ball." It came out in 2018. Uh, it's about the beautiful game. It, it, it chronicles the game from Johan Cruyff to Maradona to Ronaldinho to Lionel Messi. Features a lot of Pep Guardiola-style football play. You'd love that one, Cam. Uh, I, would get, I would consume anything that's about Johan Cruyff. Uh, <laughs> he is my favorite player. Um, I've watched every YouTube clip going so many times over. Uh, the man was a genius. This is one beautiful. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's in the documentary where he's he's got the ball. He's moving down the wing, and this this opponent is coming up to him and just waves him aside. He just said, "Don't bother. Why are you bothering me? I'm going to get past you. Just go away." <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant. Take the ball, pass the ball. Came out in 2018. Search that one out. Well worth watching. Cristiano Ronaldo. Love him or hate him. Um, he's one of the the iconic players of our current generation. There's a 2015 documentary out on Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I, I like him a lot because former Man United player. Well, ex Man United. United signed him as a scrawny step over Portuguese kid and made him a world superstar. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he made himself a world superstar. <laughs> I, I mean, when he first, his first matches, he was just being pushed over. Because as you say, he was this grown little kid, but he worked on it. He built himself up and he became strong enough to be able to defeat anybody who comes up to him. I think he's amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah it is well worth watching. Ronaldo 2015 is a Netflix documentary. Last one I want to tell you about, also available on Netflix, Bobby Robson, More Than a Manager, came out in 2018. Uh, Go deep into the life and times of Sir Bobby Robson, an absolute pillar of the English game, Cam. Uh, Yeah, I watched this, uh, you know, tears in my eyes. Uh, It was, it's a really good documentary. And actually, uh, there were so many aspects of his career that I, I didn't know about. And Paul Gascoigne, turns up and, and he's the one who says more than a manager um, yeah uh, he was um, he was so un-English in many ways a very English man but I mean he was prepared to wanted to work overseas yeah. wanted to improve his game all the time yep. he was great he was ahead of his time right that's yeah. it I, I hope with with all of us we've given you a lot of suggestion ideas. First up, let me thank Cam Raslan. Cam, you, you're going back into isolation. Don't go mad, right? <laughs> thank you, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and also, many thanks to Craig Wilkie, to Des Corkill, to Kishnan, and to you guys for listening. Have a safe, productive week at home, everybody. Bye now. Off the Ball, every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.